Hey guys, welcome to Not at Dinner, the podcast where we talk about politics, religion, and everything else you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. I'm Link, your host for this podcast, and today we're going to talk about executive orders, the Constitution, kind of the checks and balances that are built into our government system, and the reason this came up as a topic, if you've heard in the news, the president said that he's thinking about signing an executive order that would eliminate birthright citizenship in the United States. In having conversations with folks about this, it seemed that there were rightly a lot of questions around, is this possible? Can the president really do that? Why does the president have that much power? Can the can an executive order repeal an amendment? These are all very good questions. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about how that factors into checks and balances and why it's then important to vote. Because uh, the day after this podcast goes live is election day in the United States. Please vote. Before we do that, I want to say something that's more important, which is this. When I started this podcast, if you've listened to the trailer, I said that this is a podcast that is open to hearing both sides of every argument, that's disinterested in attacking one side or another, and that understands that the great majority of Americans fall somewhere in the middle of the political spectrum and We can probably find places where we can compromise or places where we can agree that can help us bridge the gap and move forward. That is still true. What is not true about this podcast is that there, I recognize, and I think it's important to point out that there are not two sides of every single thing that happens. In the cases of abject violence, or in the cases of encouraging and not denouncing such violence, there are not two sides. There were not two sides in Charlottesville. There was a clear wrong side. And in the case of the shooting that happened at the Tree of Life Synagogue last weekend, there were not two sides. The man that chose to open fire in that synagogue was wrong. And... Even for those who do not act out that sort of violence, if you believe that a person who is Jewish, who is trans, who is Latin, who is black, etc., is inherently bad or lazy or violent on account of nothing more than their race or ethnicity or identity, then you are wrong. Because human beings are not defined by their ethnicity, and not all people who are different from you are inherently bad. So there are not two sides to cases of bigotry, but in the great majority of conversations with moderates in America, there are two sides. And those are the types of conversations that we can have. We can talk about our different ideas on a path to citizenship, but this podcast won't engage in accusing 
individuals who are coming from another country to seek asylum in this country of being violent or criminal or carrying diseases that have been eradicated decades ago. We don't do that here. So just to be clear, while I care for both sides, I listen to both sides, I value both sides, it is not always the case that in every situation there are both sides and there is not always moral equivalency. Perhaps we'll do a podcast specifically about that, but for now, I just wanted to make that clear and also to just say that we as a podcast are standing in solidarity with Jewish Americans. Now, on to the topic of today's podcast. Executive orders, the Constitution, presidential power, etc. So the first question is, what is an executive order and what gives the president the right to sign an executive order? The first president to ever sign an executive order in the United States of America was George Washington. And the most recent president to ever sign an executive order in the United States was Donald Trump. All but one president in the history of the United States has signed at least one executive order with Roosevelt taking the cake at the most executive orders with more than 2,000. Most of our modern presidents are in the 250 to 400 range in terms of executive orders that they sign throughout their presidency. So it's common. It happens all the time. And the great majority of executive orders are unimportant to the average American's day-to-day. For example, executive orders have been signed that have appointed or defined the fact that a particular department should have a leader because maybe it didn't previously have a leader. Maybe there didn't used to be a secretary of urban development, and there should be. That's not really something that's going to be controversial. Other executive orders have been. One of the most famous executive orders that I think a lot of people don't know was an executive order is that the Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order. So Abraham Lincoln, through the power vested in him in the Constitution, signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which effectively freed slaves. It's kind of complicated, but for the purpose of this podcast, the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves. And so that's great, right? That's something that needed to be done. It was done at the time that was actually pretty controversial, of course, but it's just important to note that not all executive orders are inherently bad, right? They're in some cases unimportant and in other cases very positive. And then, of course, there are executive orders that to some perspectives are negative, um, that's the nature of executive orders when, when you're the president. The executive order is not well defined in America. It's not really defined in the Constitution either. Presidential powers are defined in 
Article 2 of the Constitution. The Constitution is very, very boring read. Not riveting. But if you're a nerd, you can read it. It's interesting. Um, but Article 2, Section 1 says... The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. And then it goes on to explain he gets a four-year term and how he's elected. And then the only next part that speaks to the different sorts of powers the president has is in Article 2, Section 3. Towards the end of the paragraph, it says, He, the president, shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. That's it. The rest of Article 2 talks about how he's elected, how he can be impeached, that he gets to appoint certain officers, etc. And that is all that we have really done to define the power of the president in terms of what power he does have, or she, but the Constitution was written a long time ago. So George Washington wrote an executive order and signed it only based upon that constitution before any additional laws or other things were passed, which kind of shows what the founding fathers expected executive orders to look like, and that that was something that they kind of built into our system of government. The next thing is, what does an executive order do, right? I can sign all sorts of orders at my job, right? I can write a cool little thing and sign it and says uh, I should get paid $100,000 more every year than I currently do. And I could give it to my boss and she would laugh at me and that would be the end of it because I have no power to do such a thing. So what does it mean when the president does that? Is it just a piece of paper that he's signing or how much impact does it really have? So executive orders when signed have the same power as a federal law. They will affect day-to-day and enforcement in the same way that federal law would. For example, the Emancipation Proclamation, when it was signed, okay, now all the slaves are free because the president signed it and it has that level of meaning. Some of that comes from the fact that when our system of government was built, the Founding Fathers built three co-equal branches of government which are the executive branch, the president, the legislative branch, Congress, the House and the Senate, and the judicial branch, which is the court system. These three are meant to be equal. So the president doesn't have more power than Congress or than the judicial branch, nor does he have less power. They're intended to be three co-equal branches of government, which is why an executive order can hold the same weight as a law that's passed through Congress. Can an executive order repeal an amendment? No. Absolutely not. No, it cannot. But the Constitution is subject to interpretation. This is a big debate. If you've ever been a portion of a part of a religious community, you've probably had similar conversations and debates about the Bible as well, which is, is the Constitution a living, breathing document that we should interpret in modern times and understand that the Founding Fathers didn't know 
how much was going to change in the 300 years since they've written the Constitution? Or should we see the Constitution as literal, clearly defined, not interpretable or changeable in any way? There are two different ways of seeing the Constitution. There's no official, like, correct way. That's why it's the case that different judges have different rulings because they're interpreting the Constitution differently. An executive order is signed based upon the president and his legal team interpretation of the Constitution. So if we take this birthright citizenship statement, the president is saying, based upon his interpretation, that the 14th Amendment does not mean anybody that's born here can be a citizen. In order for that executive order to get fully written and signed, it also has to go through the president's legal team, who would also have to interpret the Constitution that way. Just to be clear, that's not super likely, not impossible, but not super likely. Um, just in case you're wondering, this is what the 14th Amendment says. So the 14th Amendment says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. The argument for birthright citizenship is all persons born in the United States are citizens of the United States. Pretty clear. But the argument against birthright citizenship is and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States, including the ending, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So the question, the kind of like legal question is, are folks who have entered this country illegally subject to the jurisdiction of the United States? Therefore, any child they give birth to while on U.S. soil is a U.S. citizen. The long-standing interpretation of the 14th Amendment has been that, yes, folks who come here illegally and give birth are giving birth to United States citizens. There are some xenophobic arguments against that, which we do not give credence to, but perhaps... There can be some economic reasons that folks might not want additional citizens in this country. Um, but the question just becomes, you know, it's up to the Constitution. So in signing an executive order that says no more birthright citizenship, I don't really know what the wording of this executive order would look like. Also, it hasn't been created it hasn't been written it hasn't been run through the legal team or anything so there's no imminent 
anything for this because it's only something that the president has said he wants to do. We don't know what the wording of that executive order would really be. But it would effectively say folks who come here illegally and give birth are not giving birth to citizens. It wouldn't repeal the 14th Amendment so much as interpret the 14th Amendment differently and be enforced as a federal law. This is where the question of checks and balances comes in. When an executive order is signed, let's use this concrete example of the travel ban, which wasn't a travel ban, but was a travel ban that was signed almost right after Donald Trump was uh, inaugurated. So he signed this, this travel ban saying folks from specific countries weren't able to enter the United States. And if you remember, if you were following this at the time that it happened, it immediately went to court. The judicial branch of the United States keeps both the president and Congress in check to make sure laws that are passed and executive orders that are signed fall within the Constitution. That's the job of the judicial branch. Immediately when the travel ban executive order was signed, attorneys general throughout the United States filed lawsuits against that, saying it's unconstitutional. It went through the court system. The lower courts, the circuit courts and the federal courts, can place executive orders on hold while they go through the system. So a circuit judge can say, whoa, 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 whoa. This feels probably not constitutional. And because allowing this executive order to continue to be intact, this would cause undue harm to a variety of humans while we're going through trying to decide if this is constitutional or not. So therefore, we're putting this on hold. It cannot be enforced until the courts have finished their process. It's a built-in feature of the United States of America, the system of of government that our founding fathers put into place. The same thing would happen with an executive order that made birthright citizenship illegal or made it so that, I mean, it's complicated because we really have to wonder like what this executive order would say. Is it going to say only illegal immigrants that give birth, their kids aren't citizens? Or is it going to say like any immigrant, regardless of their status can't give birth to a citizen. There's also the question of in the few hours between when it's signed and when it goes to court and gets put on hold, because it, it, realistically, just with the way that our government's set up right now, it's only going to be a few hours. In those few hours, children will be born. Will those children be citizens? Depending on how that's written. I don't know. I'm very confused about kind of like how what the wording of that's going to be but we'll we'll see if it comes to be that that ever happens so the courts will put that on hold and then it will go up to higher and higher courts right so we have like you have like courts that are specific to your county they wouldn't really be involved in a federal thing but they exist you have courts that are specific to the state each state has its own supreme court so there's like a lot of different systems in this case it would hit like circuit and federal courts eventually climbing its way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. The Supreme Court would officially rule on birthright citizenship. And that's where things get kind of complicated. The Supreme Court's job 
is to decide if something is constitutional. The Constitution is open to interpretation by each individual member of the Supreme Court. That's why cases have a five to four ruling, because five individuals felt that it was constitutional and four felt that it was not. It's 100% interpretable, because that's how the human brain works. So, and this is where you have to start to get concerned, not just about birthright citizenship, but about any time there's a president. If you're liberal, you might be more concerned about this, but if you're conservative, think about wanting to hold a liberal person accountable so they don't go too far. If the president continues to choose judges who share his belief system, interpret the Constitution in the same way, eventually the judicial branch will be full of people who will rule whatever it is that he's doing constitutional. It's important to have federal and Supreme Court judges across the spectrum so that they're not all super liberal, not all super conservative, and can make a moderate interpretation. It's also why it's really important that judges are not openly partisan, because then they're more likely to lean in favor of whatever their party has said. So if the issue of birthright citizenship gets to the Supreme Court, it'll be their job to interpret the 14th Amendment and decide if the executive order that was signed falls within the 14th Amendment. If they feel that it does, then they'll uphold it, and that will be the case for years. And if they decide it's unconstitutional, then it'll be unconstitutional, it'll go away and fade back, and it won't be enforced anymore. That's the case for anything. You can think about how the travel ban got to the Supreme Court. You can think back to the Hobby Lobby case um, about providing birth control. If employers have to provide birth control, that got to the Supreme Court. The case of, like, do bakers have to make cakes for gay people or not? that got to the Supreme Court, right? All of these are ways of interpreting the Constitution and the court interpreting either in the way you would or in the way you wouldn't. It's super debatable. Uh, I think the the bakery issue is a a really good way to understand like why interpreting the the Constitution is so complex. Because if you think about it, this is the case where a religious... An owner of a bakery where the owner was religious, but the bakery was secular, said that he didn't want to provide a cake for a gay couple's wedding because it went against his religious beliefs and because of the First Amendment, which enshrines religious freedom, he shouldn't have to bake the cake. But the gay couple said, based on the 14th Amendment, he should have to bake a cake. Who's right? constitutionally it's really blurry ethically or morally it might be less blurry but constitutionally it's pretty blurry and so that's how that how that takes place executive orders can also be ended by the following president if 
a law hasn't been made officially by Congress or a constitutional amendment hasn't been officially made by Congress. Trump has ended executive orders that Obama signed. Obama ended executive orders that George Bush signed and so on. It's very, very common. So if Donald Trump signs an executive order eliminating birthright citizenship, when the next president gets into office, he or she can rescind that entirely because now they're the president. So they don't hold as much stability as a law because a law has to be changed by Congress, which is hundreds of people that all have to come together and agree to change the law, whereas an executive order is one individual. That's how executive orders work. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about how an amendment can be repealed, and we'll talk about why your vote, even though you can't vote for president, will still impact an executive order. some exciting news some folks have asked how they can support the podcast i've decided to launch a ko-fi page if you've if you watch a lot of youtube you've probably heard of patreon ko-fi is similar it's a place where you can go and you can simply just effectively quote buy me a coffee which is three to five dollars just to support the podcast just to show that this is something you like something you want me to keep doing You can check that out on the website, notatdinnerpodcast.com. And just because I think it's really cool, I've also left last week's guest, Molly, I've left her YouTube video up on the site because I think you all should go watch her YouTube channel. It's very fun, and I've learned a lot from it. And stay tuned. I'm hoping to, within the next week or so, officially launch some merch we have some t-shirts some stickers um some notebooks a tote that type of stuff hopefully coming out so i'm still sorting out the details to make that work um but stay tuned that should be coming as well so lots of ways to support the podcast the most important ways um are subscribe just wanted to share some of those ideas and uh thanks for listening though i really do appreciate the listenership that we've been able to garner so far. It's pretty exciting stuff, so thank you. And check it all out at notatdinnerpodcast.com. Welcome back. We are talking about constitutional amendments, executive orders, checks and balances, all the fun and interesting stuff that you ignored in civics class it's fine i'm not judging you i ignored a lot of stuff in physics class so you study science i'll study the government we'll find some way to some some middle ground so i just want to talk a little bit about repealing amendments just to make sure we're kind of all on the same page with that um amendments are not easily repealed And rightfully so. The Constitution is not meant to be something that changes willy-nilly with every different presidential administration. It's something that can change, but it should be taken very seriously when done so. 
And if you think about the number of amendments that have been repealed, it's pretty low. I didn't actually pull up that statistic before I started recording, so I'm not sure of how many, but it's not very many. A very famous or very popular one that's been repealed that I think a lot of people are super stoked on is prohibition, right? So think back, you know, to the days when it was illegal to have alcohol in the United States. And then with the 21st Amendment that was repealed, constitutional amendments can only be repealed via another constitutional amendment, which has a repeal clause in the amendment. So, for example, the 21st Amendment had a clause in it that repealed prohibition, which was put in place by the 18th Amendment. Man, I don't remember exactly, but amendments can only be passed by two-thirds of the House and Senate proposing a new amendment. So if you think about how tough it is in the current political system to even confirm a Supreme Court justice, um, try to imagine two-thirds of the Senate agreeing on something. The odds are pretty low in our current state of things. Um, Another way that an amendment can be proposed is through two-thirds of state legislatures calling for it. So effectively, like, two-thirds of the governors and their congresses propose an amendment. Um, Once an amendment is proposed, it's ratified by the states. And three-quarters of the states have to vote yes on ratifying that amendment. Three-quarters of 50 states is 37 and a half. I presume that means that 38 states would have to say yes. A half a state can't. A state can't say half yes. Um, so 38 out of our 50 states would have to agree to ratify this amendment, which repeals another amendment. It's very difficult to pass an amendment to re- to make either to repeal one that already exists or to just make a new amendment altogether. The odds makers have said that the odds of a constitutional amendment being repealed is approximately the same as the odds of a person who lives for 80 years being struck by lightning in their lifetime. Not likely. That's partially why an executive order to reinterpret an amendment is a easier move in the direction of changing an amendment. It is important to think about what kind of precedent it sets when you start changing amendments with, with executive orders, whether it's one you agree with or not. It gets dangerous fast. For example, let's say we repeal or an executive order is passed that interprets birthright citizenship differently and folks who are here illegally give birth, their children are not citizens. Okay, that's something some individuals will disagree with, but let's just say that happens. Well, now we've set a precedent, so let's say in 2020, a Democrat wins, beats Donald Trump, and now we have a Democratic president. Now it is possible that 
that president who's a Democrat could sign an executive order saying only people who are a part of a state militia are allowed to have guns. Because the Second Amendment says for a well-regulated militia. So, uh uh-oh, now what? And then let's say another president gets into office and similar to Donald Trump, dislikes the media, they can do, they can sign a, pre, a executive order that says um, the press can't attack the president. Can that be interpreted in one way or another? It gets really dangerous. That's why we have the court system that can say, no, that's very unconstitutional. It's also why it's really important to pay attention to what judges are getting appointed to the bench. And it's a big reason that I personally did not want Brett Kavanaugh on the bench. He's openly partisan. Um, He sees presidential powers as being pretty expansive. And he's someone that has been pretty open about probably supporting whatever it is that the president wants to do, whomever that president is. I don't want someone on the court that defers to the president because they're supposed to be holding the president accountable. And that's a struggle that I have with, with Brett Kavanaugh, separate from his accusations of sexual misconduct. So we really need to pay attention to who's getting appointed to these positions. Judges are also confirmed by Congress. This is this is what the system of checks and balances looks like. This is how this works, is each of these co-equal branches kind of keep one another in check. And it's, it's really, really helpful. If you think about in your personal life, some people have... Um, gym buddies or or accountability buddies will where they'll say hey keep me in check make sure i've gone to the gym three mornings every week or hey when i invite you out for pizza say no so that we don't go for pizza i'll never have a buddy like that you can say yes anytime i ask you for pizza but it's it's a common thing in human relationships and it was then added to our system of government to say these branches, none of which are more or less powerful than the other, can keep one another in check. And that's why the president appoints or suggests particular judges to the federal and Supreme Courts, and Congress approves them. That helps to prevent the president, Democrat or Republican, from stacking the bench in their favor. You wouldn't get just a bunch of judges who, you know, are going to check the box for every socialist cause in the world, you're also not going to get a bunch of judges who are going to check the box for every capitalist cause in the world, right? You want to have a variety of judges. This is why your vote matters. Only the president can sign an executive order, but it's the judges, which are approved by Congress, and the Congress people that are going to keep those executive orders in check. When you're voting for a person to join the Senate or join the House, you're voting for someone who's going to stand up to the President of the United States. It should always be the case that Congress is questioning the President and what he or she is doing. And it should always be the case that the President is questioning what Congress is doing and that the Federal and Supreme Court judges are questioning what both groups are doing. Our founding fathers intentionally set up a very complicated system of government. 
makes it very hard to make sweeping changes to the way that our nation functions. It's true that they didn't know how much was going to change in the 300 years since they wrote the Constitution, but they did understand a few elements of human psychology. And I think because they came from a monarchy to start this country, they understood what it looked like when someone overused their power. And for that reason, they wrote a variety of things into our Constitution and built our system of government to try to prevent that from happening. So far, it's worked. And it can keep working. So it's also really important to remember that it can happen here, right? Whatever it is that you think can't happen here, it can. Hopefully it wouldn't. It can happen here. But what prevents something like the Holocaust from happening in the United States of America is a system of checks and balances. It is having congresspeople who will say to the president, no, that is unacceptable and un-American, and we are going to write a law that prevents you from doing that, whatever it is. And we need to think about where that line is drawn, where reasonable people disagreeing changes to no, that's really unacceptable. We don't talk about the fact that there were concentration internment camps in America where we put Japanese Americans in internment camps. We don't talk about that a lot. We pretend like it didn't happen, but it did. It happened on U.S. soil, and it happened not that long ago. And it can happen again. Should we have a different path to citizenship or a different process for folks who are coming here illegally? Maybe. But should we criminalize people who are trying to seek a better life? No. And should we talk about people in a way that's mean and derogatory and hurtful? We think about the migrant caravan that's coming from Central America. This is not some violent group of gang members. These are individuals looking for a better life who so far have broken no American laws. And it's 100% legal for people to show up to the border and request asylum. So far, there has been no law broken and no law intending to be broken. We need to start having conversations about what's real and not just about what we're fearful of. Changing birthright citizenship is complicated, but is a dog whistle for the fact that maybe people from Latin America shouldn't be here. And we need to be really careful about how we engage in those conversations because there's nothing to be afraid of when it comes to normal people. We can talk about the path to citizenship, but we have to talk about what's real, which is a very high percentage, I don't know the actual number, over 50% by a lot of folks who are here illegally got here by plane because they overstayed their visa. But we're not worried about that. We're worried about building a wall between America and Mexico. And so that's where we're getting confused on what facts we really need to be talking about if we're worried about illegal immigration. And another thing, another fact, so that we can make sure we're fact-checking, Donald Trump said that we're the only nation in the world 
with birthright citizenship. That is 100% a lie. More than 30 countries have birthright citizenship. The great majority of them are in North and South America. Um, unrestricted birthright citizenship, which means if you're born on our soil, you're a citizen, citizen full stop. Some countries have some restrictions on birthright citizenship. Brazil is an example. If you're born on Brazilian soil, you are a Brazilian citizen unless your parents are working for the government of which they're a citizen. So let's say your parents are U.S. diplomats. They're living in Brazil. They give birth to you. You're not a Brazilian citizen because your parents were working for the U.S. at the time. That's restricted birthright citizenship. Along with the United States, more than 30 other countries have unrestricted birthright citizenship, which says, well, you were born on our soil, so here's your citizenship. It's normal. So we're not unique in offering that. But if we want to talk about birthright citizenship, we need to be honest about what we're talking about. I think that's really important. So yeah, that's how the system of government works. That's how this could all go down. And like I said, we don't we don't know if Donald Trump's really going to sign that executive order, if his legal team will agree to write that executive order, um, will immediately go to the courts. We don't know if the Supreme Court would rule that it's constitutional. Almost every legal scholar, not all, but almost every legal scholar will tell you that it's very unlikely that the Supreme Court would think that would be a constitutional executive order. It's not something to be truly concerned about, but it is important to just understand how these things work so that when we hear this coming from either party, whether it's in the next two years with Donald Trump or with in the following four years with a different president, hopefully, um, it's important to understand how it works. There's also conversations to be had about presidential overreach. Again, that gets complicated because it's not clear in the Constitution. The Founding Fathers didn't really say where the president's right to make an order ends. I think, personally, my interpretation is that it ends at the Supreme Court with whatever they say is or isn't constitutional, but that is a... a debate that people have. So there's a lot of complicated things in our system of government, which is intentional, which is the way the founding fathers wanted it so that we wouldn't end up a monarchy. And while they didn't live to see the Holocaust, they certainly endeavored to prevent something like that from happening again. So just remember that when you're voting, when you're voting tomorrow, or when you're voting next year, in 2020, in 2022, whenever you're voting, remember, your vote matters even when you're not voting for president because it will keep the president in check. That's it for this one. That's all I got. Um, thanks for listening. I've gotten some really positive feedback over the past couple of weeks. Um, and so I really appreciate that. I really appreciate folks who are listening consistently. This, is, this has been really fun. I've been having a blast doing this. So like, 
subscribe, click that bell notification. <laughs> Just kidding. This isn't YouTube. Um, but yeah, if you are listening on podcast, Apple's podcast app, click subscribe. Um, leave a review if you can. And get excited. I'm hoping to launch on Stitcher and Spotify possibly for this episode definitely for next week if this episode isn't on those services um i want to make sure that i'm kind of making myself available to anyone that has an android phone since this is a podcast that values both sides and in every debate i think folks who have an android should be able to listen to um so hopefully we'll get that we'll get that going and stay tuned for the merch drop that's coming uh you can check us out on our website not at dinnerpodcast.com check us out on instagram at not at dinner and yeah we'll keep doing this please vote tomorrow your vote matters your vote matters in the midterms as much as any other vote thanks for listening and have a great day <laughs>